following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. All right, let's get something clear right up front. Ready for this? Let's just get something clear right up front. My job, your job. My job is to take what the Word of God makes clear and present that to you so that it's clear to you. That's my job. I'm, I'm to make clear what the Word of God makes clear. Does that make sense? You, go, you with me so far? Ready to hear your job? Your job is to listen, to, to look intently at the Word of God. It's to process it, to think about it, to believe it, and then to action it in your life. So the very start of this new year, we've clarified no mysteries, um, my job and your job as we approach the Word of God. And clarity of mind, that's what we're talking about. A clarity of understanding translates into clarity of, of passion. I understand it, therefore I'm pretty fired up about it. Therefore, I know exactly how I need to act this out, play this out in my life. I know what my purpose is. I know what my mission is. And with so much uncertainty that defines our lives, the blank slate that is 2014 in front of us, with so much uncertainty attached to that, isn't it wonderful that we can actually have certainty about some things that are eternal that come directly from God. And that's what we're really looking for today. We want to be, can I just speak for you for a second? We want to be certain about some things. There are some things I want to be able to stand firmly on as I work through this coming year. Well, all of that to say, in today's text, a man named Simeon, we're going to look at a little episode in his life, received greater clarity for himself, for a young couple that he came up to and approached and spoke with briefly, and as a result, brought greater, greater clarity to me and to you. Simeon met Mary and Joseph in the temple as they were bringing Jesus, just an infant, barely six weeks old, bringing him into the temple to dedicate him. And as he met with them, he spoke a blessing over them. He took the baby in his arms and he actually said, my eyes have seen, he said this to God, my eyes have seen your salvation. It was a moment of great clarity for him. And I would just want every one of us to be just as clear as Simeon was. That we would be able to say just as convincingly, my eyes have seen, my eyes are seeing your salvation. I want us to have that certainty today. So the big question in front of us as we read the text, which we'll do in just a moment, is what does salvation actually look like then? If my eyes are going to see it, because I'm not going to have the advantage of seeing the infant Jesus and holding him in my arms, but if I'm going to see salvation, what exactly does salvation look like? Start with the text. This is Luke chapter 2, and beginning at verse 21. Let me read this. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord 
and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What does salvation look like? Let's start with this. When I see salvation, hopefully this isn't a surprising starting point. When I see salvation, I see Jesus, the one who saves. The preaching Jesus every week for me saves me from having to think up what I should say to you. The starting point, the default setting is I preach Jesus Christ. And it saves all of us, by the way, uh, from thinking up how we ought to live our lives. I'm, 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 I don't have to worry about that anymore. I don't have to wonder about it. I don't have to try and figure out life for myself because it is all about following Jesus. I, I don't have to think up a different way. In these first few verses, we have the young family doing three things. In the very first verse, verse 21, they're bringing Jesus after eight days to be circumcised. There's actually two separate events. The family was still living in Bethlehem where Jesus had been born. Eight days later, they made the short trip, maybe about eight kilometers to Jerusalem uh, to see that he was circumcised. Then they would have returned again on day 40. So he's almost six weeks old at this point for two other things. One was the purification of Mary. Because this was her first child, according to the law of Moses, it was required that she would go and that, a, that an offering would actually be made for her. In fact, Joseph was the only one who needed to go, but Mary and the child Jesus all went together. And then they coupled with this something that was not required in the law, but was a good thing and probably modeled on the example of, of uh, Hannah and Samuel, uh, where they brought the baby for dedication just to say, Lord, this, this child is yours. Again, something we practice in this church, not as a matter of scriptural mandate, but as a neat thing to do. We're just bringing our children that God has given to us as a gift and bringing them back to the Lord. So three things, the circumcision happens, the purification for Mary, and then uh, the presentation or the dedication of uh, Jesus himself. This young family is adhering to all of the best practices of their faith. They're demonstrating themselves to be... Um, of faithful to the Lord in every way. And so important as Jesus gets positioned, set up to be the Messiah of his people and of this world. Of course, we see in verse 21 that his name was given to him as Jesus. The Hebrew for this is Joshua. And the name literally means because we're talking about salvation here, his name literally means the Lord saves or God is salvation. 
Well, that's Jesus' name. The message of the gospel is Jesus. It's not about Jesus. It doesn't flow from Jesus so much as the message of the gospel is Jesus Christ. I love the way Paul said it with such clarity. Jot down this reference, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 2, where he said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing else. All the other things I said to you are just extras. This is the main thing. This is the thing I wanted to teach you. This is the thing I promoted to you more than anything else. It is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's us. That's what this church is about. We preach no other message. We preach salvation through Jesus Christ and nothing else. When I see salvation, I see Jesus. That's it. He's the only one. For those who might still be wondering, no other philosophy, no other religion, no other faith system, no other amount of good works or strict morality is envisioned here. All of that might be attached to religion or seeking to gain God's favor through what we do and none of it is any good at all. It's just Jesus. We let Paul have his say. Here's what Peter said about it in Acts 4.12. There is salvation in, in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The gospel is Jesus I hope that doesn't bore you. I hope you're not coming here hoping that there was more to it than that. I hope you don't think that that seems a trite in some way or impossible or that it seems fanciful or imaginary, that there has to be something more sophisticated to it than that. If you want something more sophisticated, it, it isn't here. I have nothing else to offer you. Just Jesus. You can keep searching for a different way if you're not already on the path. C.S. Lewis said it this way in Mere Christianity, the futility of that search. Lewis said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. It's a pointless search. When I see salvation, I see Jesus. It's awesome, right? Such comfort, just even in that part of it. And, and not only that, but I, I see the evidence of Jesus in the way that he's changing people. When I see salvation, I see the change he brings about in people's lives. The example for us here is, is Simeon. The, the scriptures are filled with examples. This church is filled with examples of people whose lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. 25 to 26... Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man, notice the descriptors, there's four of them here. He was righteous and devout. That's two. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then fourth, the Holy Spirit was upon him. It tells us a little bit more about him, very specific to him. He had been given some revelation uh, from the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die. He wasn't going to die until he actually saw the Messiah with his own eyes. And so, he was righteous, referring to the inward reality for every Christ follower. He was righteous, inwardly, 
justified by God. When we respond to the message of the gospel in faith, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, because of his death on the cross and his resurrection to new life, applies the power of that to our lives, forgives us of our sins, and declares us to be righteous, forgiven not only of our past sins, but forgiven for all of our future sins as well, the blood of Christ being sufficient for all of these things. And so inwardly, righteous, declared, to be righteous before God, justified in his sight. Now, that is the standing that every Christ follower is in. Secondly, he was outwardly devout, practicing his faith in a tangible way. There was evidence in the manner in which he lived his life, in his character, in his devotion, in the practicing of his faith. There was evidence of salvation. Third, he was expectant and hopeful. It said he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel, that phrase, simply refers to Jesus or to salvation, the comfort that would come to Israel in its distress. He was expectant. He was waiting for it. One of the things that drags people down at this time of year is just like, I got to live through another year. There's a little bit of, oh, we made it, right? 2013, tear that one off the calendar, throw it away. We made it, but now we got a whole other one that we have to live through now. And, and some of us, all the, all the glass half full people are looking at it going, yeah, happy new year, another year, right? And then there's all the other people, oh, glass half empty. Another whole year that I have to live through. True or false? Two different kinds of people in the room. And we see it in a very different way, but whether you're looking at it optimistically or pessimistically with this whole year standing in front of us, I hope you're looking at it with expectancy. I hope you're looking at it going, I could grow more in Christ this year. I could do more for Christ this year. And most of all, I could meet Christ this year. Lord, let it, half-empty half people are, I'll just go in the head, let it be this year, please. I want to meet Jesus. We should all have that. Expectancy, as Simeon had that, uh, because of the salvation that he had. And then fourth, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we ought to all be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being used by God to do his work, his service, his way. When I see salvation, I see people being changed. And I have the pleasure, as do our pastors and our elders, it's like we're all like in the, in the A-plus front row seats watching the change that's going on in people's lives, in marriages, in individuals, and in young people, where the salvation that they have professed in Jesus Christ is radically altering their lives. It's exciting to watch, and I'm excited to see more of it this year. Because when I see salvation, I see people being changed. And I also see the hope. The reason why people embrace this is because of the hope that salvation offers to all. I hope you're living out this. It says Simeon came in the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. He had been given this special message in verse 26 and this promise from God. And then verse 27, he came in the Spirit into the temple. It's not like he was hanging out there like some kind of creeper watching every a baby that comes in at every moment and wondering if that's the one. He's not that guy. Um, 
He came in the Spirit in this particular moment. There was a converging of a young couple uh, walking into the temple with their young child and Simeon being led uh, by the Spirit in that very same moment. And Simeon just goes up to this couple who he doesn't know and they don't know Simeon. And Isaac has no idea what's going on right now, right? For now, you're Jesus, Isaac. <laughs> now, just imagine this happening today. Young couple walking through Georgian Mall. Old man comes up to them, just takes the baby right out of their arms. <laughs> now, what do you imagine is going to happen? Yeah, mom's not going to be too happy about it. She's going to be freaking out. And dad's going to be looking for a way that he can both catch the baby and pop the dude at the same time. (laughs) Correct? Now, and the reason why we think this way when we come across this story is because we're filtering the whole thing through the lens of our own society. But, and, and of course, we live in this society where no one would do this anymore because it, there's, it would be threatening. And so it wouldn't happen. But we, we look at the first century story and it's a little bit different. And you wonder, though we're not told the details here, you just wonder if the Holy Spirit hadn't already prepared Mary and Joseph for whatever was going to happen here. I mean, the Holy Spirit is all over, filling this story front to back. And, and so for them, they must have had some sense that this was, this was just normal. That this was going to be another special moment for them. And so we look and see verse 29 here. Simeon takes the baby. Notice verse 28. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God. He praised God. He said, thank you, Lord. For this child, and he said, "Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, glory for your people, Israel." Simeon says, first of all, having seen this child, that his job was done. He no longer needed to be the watchman. At the very least, he recognized in saying this. Let me depart from being the watchman. I don't need to do this anymore. But there's a very real sense when you read the verse and you understand that he was an old man, that he was really saying, now that I've seen the child, I'm going to die. My job is over. And not only is my job as watchman over, but my, my life is over. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I want you to picture this. Because salvation for us, I've already said salvation is Jesus. But when he looked into the baby's eyes, he said, my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation for us is personified. It's not an abstract doctrine. It's personified in a person. It's personified in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ himself. And so when we see Jesus, we see salvation. And if we don't see Jesus, we don't see salvation. Whatever anyone might think about the way that they're trying to arrive at peace with God. If there's no Jesus, there's no salvation. This is the way God ordained it. Verse 31, you, you've prepared this in the presence of all peoples. God set this whole thing up. And it's for everyone. Everyone. Something that Luke's gospel's already told us. 
It isn't restricted to any particular people group. It's for all who would exercise faith. And it's for Jews and it's for Gentiles. Notice what he says in verse 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Light and glory. Why those two terms? Why light for the Gentiles? Why glory for Israel? Well, light because the Gentiles were completely without the message of Christ. They had no idea about a Messiah or a Savior who would come. They had no clue. They were steeped in their own pagan philosophies and religions. They needed light because they were in darkness. Why glory for Israel? Well, because they had the light. They had the message. They had the Torah. They had the prophets, the Hebrew Bible. They had a revelation from God that told them of a Messiah. They knew how to be in a faith relationship with their creator. And so for them, the coming of the Messiah would be glory. To borrow the words of Winston Churchill, when when Messiah would come, this would be their finest hour as a people. Because as Paul said, Or as Jesus said, rather, in John chapter 4, salvation is of the Jews. God blessed the Jewish people and allowed them to be the ones who would present the Messiah to the world. And so this is our hope. Hope offered to us through the words of an old man, through salvation being offered to us in the form of a child personified in Jesus Christ himself. It's so clear, isn't it? That Jesus Christ is our only hope. Amen. I'd have you applaud, but I don't want you to disturb Isaac. Thanks, buddy. He did a good job. I see the hope that he offers to all. And all that said, I also see the awe that Jesus inspires. I know some of you were just in awe because it was just a baby. The moms. Ah, right? I think we're talking about something even more awesome than that. Because we're talking about the Lord of the universe. We're talking about the one who comes to save us. And the only response we have to Simeon is that of his father and mother. Verse 33, it says, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Now, they're the only ones that are there. There's just four people there. I'm sure the temple was crowded, but it was one of those situations where people are just kind of milling about, doing all the things they do. Just this young couple, nondescript, with their little baby, bringing him to the temple to be dedicated. And this old man, Simeon, having a conversation. No one else is involved. Luke is narrating this. The story having been told to him, likely by Mary. And it says that the response of the two that could respond was that they marveled at what Simeon said about him. They were, other words could be used, they were amazed, they were astonished. The word carries with it the idea of surprise and even being puzzled at. What's he saying? What's this about that he's talking concerning our son? Now where we sit, hearing this story, of course, of course, most of us in this room, or probably all of us, know uh, enough of the gospel story to know the end of it. We know how all of this is going to turn out. We know who that little baby really is. And so we have the advantage of being able to look back on it and and ask the question, why in the world are they still amazed? Mary 
had an angel show up in her living room to tell her she was going to be pregnant. She got pregnant without the advantage of ever having slept with a man. That seems fairly incredible to me. True? Then Joseph has a dream, tells him it's okay to marry Mary. One that he knows is from God. Then all the other events take place. Of course, uh, Mary, uh, her, her cousin Elizabeth has a child and she's past childbearing years. That's another clue that something awesome's going on here. They head down to Bethlehem while they're just quietly in this place having a baby. All these shepherds show up telling them this incredible story about an angel coming and visiting them. And then the angelic hosts show up, kind of like a choir, and they start saying some things from the Lord. Listen, all of these things happening, I'm just asking the question, why are you still amazed? Are you wondering the same thing? I thought about it. I was just studying this out, trying to figure out why they would still be amazed. And the only thing I can really offer to you is this, is that there should never come a time when we're not amazed by what God is doing. That for those of us who are the followers of Christ, whenever we see what God is doing around us, it should still be amazing us and causing astonishment. And look how awesome God is. The life of a passionate, spirit-filled Christ follower should never be without awe. And if you've lost the awe, if it's just routine to you, you got to rewind. you got to go back and say, where did I lose the passion and why did I lose the passion? Why am I not fired up about this? Why, why is my heart not leaping at the very name of Jesus being preached? And that might mean some repentance for you. It might mean a rearranging of priorities. It might mean a coming back to something you had before that you don't have anymore. When you see this, you ought to see the awe that Jesus inspires. When you see his salvation, it should cause a stirring in you, amazement and astonishment at what God is doing. Just as it was again for Joseph and Mary. And then finally this. When I see God's salvation, I see the harsh reality of the decision that everyone must make. Notice verse 34. Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. One commentator said that this is Simeon reigning on the parade. I mean, everything up till now has been pretty spectacular, pretty, pretty parades and fireworks kind of stuff. Everything's been so amazing. It's been, it's been all celebratory. It's one of the awesome things about celebrating Christmas is there's no bad part of the story. It's just awesome upon awesome upon awesome. Until Simeon speaks. And the first part of what he says and the actual blessing he puts on Jesus is amazing. 
And he just feels the need to say this specific thing. Specifically to Mary. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. It isn't going to be an easy ride, Mary. Not everybody's going to be happy to see him. This isn't going to go the way everyone wants it to go. Some are going to be rising at the coming of the Messiah. Some are going to be exalted. Some are going to hit their stride. Some are going to find life. Are going to see the light. And others will fall. As we make our way through Luke's gospel, we're going to see both of these kinds of people. It's going to be documented throughout. Some believing, some rejecting. Some finding life, some remaining in death. Some finding the light and walking in it and others remaining in darkness. Everyone makes a decision about Jesus. Every single person makes a decision about Jesus. In fact, I could say this with great confidence. Every single one of you in this room has made a decision about Jesus. Many of you in this room have made the decision to be a follower of Jesus. And you're understanding and you've embraced the salvation that we're talking about here today. That's awesome. And many others of you have rejected Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm not really in the rejection place. I I haven't fully kind of pushed him off to the side and said no to Jesus, but I feel like I'm more ambivalent toward him or, or still kind of wondering about it. Maybe I'm just kind of apathetic about it. I, I feel like there might be three categories, Todd. Don't put me in the full-out rejection. I said no to Jesus category. And the reality is that if you haven't made a decision to actually follow him, if you are not for him, in your apathy, in your non-decision, you have decided that you are not for Jesus Christ. You don't have his salvation. It's not that you can't make a new one today. It's not that you can't change the trajectory of your life and walk with Jesus Christ in the salvation that he offers to you. But as it stands, Jesus has caused some of you this morning, many of you to rise at his coming and, and some of you to fall at his coming. It's going to be hard. Not only that, verse 34 continues, and for a sign, Jesus is a sign. A sign in the sense that he points, by his very life and his teaching, he points to certain truths, certain promises. So I thought about this. Let's look look up on the screen here for a second. Let's look at some signs. All right, first of all, the one-way sign. Jesus is the one-way sign. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no other way that anyone can be saved except one way through Jesus Christ. How about the second one? Road divides. Jesus is the road divides sign. Uh, Matthew 6, 24 talks mostly about money, but it says that money is an indicator of the heart. 
And Jesus says simply, no one can serve two masters. You, you love one and you hate the other. You hate one, love the other. It's one way or the other. And where Jesus is right at the place where the road divides and all of us come up and get confronted with the message of the gospel. And we must choose. I'm either for Jesus Christ or I'm against him. I live for him or I live for myself. Jesus is also the no U-turn. Luke 9.62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. There's no going back. Once you decide to follow Jesus Christ, those who are truly his will persevere in their faith, will make it to the end. There is no U-turn with Jesus. How about this one? Uh, Bumpy roads, rough roads. Jesus is this sign to us as well. Any of you who might think that um, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is going to be just a walk in the park? That's not true. Jesus said to his disciples in this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tough times, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Great promise. And then finally, this one, I, I love this. This is just a sampling. You could do this with so many. Rest area. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And, and he promises us that now and in eternity, the ultimate rest that we all so desperately want. Jesus is a sign. And all of those promises are so wonderful for those of us who have faith in him and love him. But notice verse 34 continues, it is a sign to be opposed That people actually oppose these wonderful messages that we've received. They oppose them. They don't want these promises. And while I would encourage you to make the right choice about Jesus Christ, I understand that making the decision to become a follower of Christ is a hard choice for those who don't yet have the salvation. I can say with confidence that choosing to follow Jesus Christ would be the best decision you could ever make. But it won't be an easy one. Uh, The best decisions in life are always life-altering decisions, but they're difficult. The value of the decision is seen in the cost. You get what you pay for. To choose to follow Christ is, is one that is opposed because the cost may be your lifestyle. The cost may be a relationship. The cost may be the very direction that you think your life is going. The purpose for your life. But the cost is most certainly, the cost of following Christ is most certainly your pride. It's yourself. Unless a person is willing to come to the end of themselves to confess their alienation from God, to confess their sinfulness, to confess their inability to affect their own salvation. They can't have this. The cost is high. And because the cost is so high, many, many reject it. So many reject salvation. So many reject the gospel. So many reject Jesus Christ. It's not, not to be a surprise to us. 700 years before Jesus 
came to this earth, the prophet Isaiah said this, Isaiah 8, 14 and 15, he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. And many shall stumble on it. Not everybody's going to get it. A lot of people are going to be offended by it. Our society is becoming increasingly hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so often, because we've thought ourselves to have a Christian culture, we think it's such a bad thing. But the problem with a culture that has called itself Christian for so long is there are so many people who fancy themselves Christians who are not just because they were born here. And as Christ gets pushed farther and farther out from the center of our culture and we become more and more marginalized in the presentation of the gospel, listen to me, it will be better for the church. It'll be better for us. Because those who are truly his will truly live for him. And those who have only been faking it will no longer be able to fake it. As the darkness intensifies, the light will become brighter among those who truly, truly love him. The gospel is life. The gospel costs you your life. The gospel costs Jesus his life. And Simeon goes on to say this to Mary in verse 35. Mothers will be able to identify with this closely. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. No one feels pain, I understand. No one feels pain like a mother feels pain for her child. Cheryl never, never liked it when I wrestled with the boys. Stop it. Stop it. Somebody's going to get. Correct. Nobody feels pain like a mother feels pain for her child. And Mary's going to feel it. Because the plan that God has in store for her son is not what she would choose for her son. He's going to face rejection. No mother wants their child to face rejection. He's going to face false accusations and no mother wants their son facing false accusations. He's going to be charged unjustly and convicted. And no mother wants their child convicted of a crime they didn't commit. And he will die. No mother should live to see their son die. A sword will pierce her heart, her soul. I don't know how Mary's feeling at this point. But it left a bit of a cloud over things. He gives the point of it all, the point of the blessing, of all that he said, of the warnings that he's pronounced over all of it, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed, so that nothing 
will be hidden in the end. The lofty goal we have for our small group ministry for this church is that we would have what we have termed an uncommon community. Not like other communities out there, uncommon. We define that in a very certain way. That we would have such a relationship with one another that we could be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable with one another. A lot of people don't like that, but that's exactly what this verse is pointing to. There will come a day, hear me on this, there will come a day when we will not have the choice but to be authentic and transparent and vulnerable. That day is coming, a day of judgment, a day when all will be revealed. That's what Simeon's pointing to. How much better to start living that out now? Jesus knows everything that's going on in this room right now. The Father is moving about in this room. His Holy Spirit is here. There's nothing that's hidden to God. He knows what you're thinking in this very moment. He knows those of you who love the Word of God, who love what's being said right now, who love the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are basking in the words that are being spoken to you from the Word of God today. And you're seeking to learn, to press in, to grow in those things. And then those of you who aren't so excited about it are just, uh, when is this over? And um, I'm not buying into this. And... Can we go now? Jesus knows those thoughts. He knows what you think about him. He knows what you think about his word. He knows what you're thinking right now about me, his messenger. And someday it's all going to be completely revealed. And I just think how much better it would be that we would just open our hearts to him right now and confess it if there are things that need to be confessed. I have lots of clarity on this. When I see salvation, I see Jesus, the one who saves. What do you see? Let's pray. Our God and Father, we, um, we thank you for the start of another year. We thank you for your mercies that brought us through the last year and for all of the ways that you have blessed us. Father, there's so much to be thankful for. And as we look ahead to the coming days, weeks, months, years, whatever you would have left for us as individuals or even for this world, Father, I pray that we would live in the way that Simeon has lived, that we would live according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, embodying that in our own lives. Righteous, devout, watching for the consolation of Israel, of this world, really, and filled with your Holy Spirit. God, this I pray for every one of us who are Christ followers. God, if there's adjustments that need to be made in our lives, I pray that we would make them. If there are things that need to be repented of, God, we would repent and turn. Father, that in our relationships, in our small groups, we would be quick to meet with others who share the same convictions. God, that we would be authentic and transparent and vulnerable with one another, that you would be building this church up into the uncommon community that we so desire it would be. Help us, God. 
And I would pray for those in the room who at that, at that point where the road divides, having been confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for those who have gone down the wrong road, who have rejected Christ or made no decision at all about Him. God, that they would retrace their steps back to that point. And today, God, would choose the path that leads to life. The path that is Jesus Christ Himself. The path that is lit with the light of the gospel. Father, thank You for hearing this prayer. Thank you for your abundant mercies, your care, and your love for us. And we pray this through the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.